Last week we began talking about memorial stones. Uh, We began by reading the story that came before, what Tyler just read to you, the whole story that Joshua wrote about the people going into the promised land, how the priest stepped into the river and uh, the water stopped and piled up and the Israelites crossed on dry ground and before the priest came out of the river, uh, Joshua had 12 men, one from each tribe, uh, get a stone and put it on their shoulder and carry it to the bank and then later carried it to Gilgal and set them up as a memorial to that crossing. And we talked about how he said that as often as you see those, you'll remember about the crossing, but when your children ask you what those stones mean, then you can tell them. And we went on to talk about these three stones down here that were erected in front of the north side building back in the 1940s, actually, uh, but they commemorated the founding in 1939. And so our question after all that was, what's the purpose of memorials? Uh, why, does God, why does God seem so big on memorials? And we came up with two things. Uh, first of all is we've got short memories. And we need to remember things. We read from Deuteronomy 6 where Moses told the people when they went into the promised land, he said, lest you forget the Lord. you got to think about these things. you got to remember. you got to tell the story over and over. Don't forget who got you here. And then we read a little later in Deuteronomy 6, uh, Moses went on and said, when your son asks you what all these things mean, then you tell him. You tell him about Egypt and Pharaoh and the ten plagues. You tell him how God got us here. Okay? So that's what memorials are about. And these stones, we spent a little time talking about how they remind us of the 75 years of history at Northside and how they're an opportunity, and two weeks from now is an opportunity uh, to remember how God got us here, and to talk about it and to celebrate it. Uh, we talked about Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight that said the Israelites shouldn't remove the ancient landmarks that their fathers had put in place. Uh, those are there for a reason. They, they set boundaries. They help us remember and leave them there. So we talked about all of that last week, and we started to apply that concept to memorial stones today. And I propose that Christians have some memorial stones that we ought to serve the same purpose as the stones at Gilgal. The two we looked at last week uh, were pretty obvious. Almost everybody would think, yes, that's a memorial stone. That's why God put that memorial in place. Uh, one is, the first one is baptism. We talked about how it serves that secondary purpose of always reminding us of what baptism means. It pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So it helps us remember that. But then primarily it's an opportunity to teach. We, we tell other people, we tell our children, here's what baptism's about. And how Jesus died and was resurrected and all of that. The second one we talked about was the Lord's Supper, which we just uh, participated in. And it does the same two things. First of all, it reminds us. We have things that picture the body and the blood of Jesus, and it makes us think 
about what he went through and his death, which is not about his resurrection, it's about his death. And it makes us think why that was necessary. It was necessary so my sin, not part of it, all of it, could be nailed to the cross and I wouldn't have to bear it anymore. That's what that memorial tells us, but it's also primarily a way to teach others and tell others. First Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul said, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death. You proclaim the Lord's death. People see that we believe that, and it's an opportunity to explain to them what the death means. So that's where we got last week, and I said today we'd talk about two that were a little less obvious, perhaps, that we might not always think of as being memorial stones. So let's cover those today. The first one, or the third of our memorial stones, I would propose is the church. The the church itself. Jesus said, I will build my church. Uh, Joshua said, pile those stones up at Gilgal. Jesus said, I'm going to build a church. And throughout the New Testament, we learn what the purpose of the church is. We learn what it's about. We learn what it is. And as often as we see that and think about it, that draws us back to what we really are and who we really are. Now, I'm afraid there's a lot of confusion about the church these days. I'm afraid there's a lot of folks, perhaps young people, maybe more, because they haven't been told about the stone very often. I, I think some confuse, get confused about what the church is. And I've read lots of stuff about the younger generation and how they think about church and how they're leaving churches and how they don't attend near as much and they don't want to be a part of one. I've read things like that. And it says that some of them reason that, well, a church is a place to learn about the Bible. Some guy stands up there and talks for 30 minutes and teaches you something about the Bible. But in this day and age, you don't have to go to church to learn things. You can learn by Googling. Okay? You can listen to a sermon anytime you want. Just put it down, podcast it, or listen to it. You don't have to come here. You don't have to be a part of a church to learn about the Bible. Some people think that way, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's true in one sense. I think others think that, well, church is just kind of an organization where it's a great place to meet friends and have friends and all of that, but you don't need to be part of a church to have friends these days. I mean, we've got people sitting right out here that'll tell you they got 200 friends right here. Yeah, they keep up with them, talk to them, chat with them, all that kind of stuff. They got all kinds of friends. You don't need to be part of a church. Well, when we really look at the memorial stone of the church, We'll see there's a lot more purpose to it than that. Church is a lot more than that. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul said, Now you are, he was writing to the church in Corinth, so he could just as well be writing to the church at Northside. He said, Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. 
That's a whole lot different than a place to learn, a place to have fun, a place to make friends. You are the body of Christ. Now, together, we're supposed to do some things. We're supposed to build each other up. We're supposed to encourage each other. And we ought to do that. We ought to make help each other grow up in Christ. That's one purpose. The more we are together, the better we can do that. Okay. Uh, the studies all show that the younger generation doesn't attend, doesn't get together with the body near as much as we used to. It's kind of an option. It's kind of an alternative. If you, if you don't have anything better to do that Sunday, yeah, you can go to church. It'll be all right. But about anything else that comes up takes priority. Okay. You can think that way if you don't ever look at the memorial stone of the church. The church is the body of Christ. And we fellowship with each other. We are with each other. We worship together. We, we do things that it's better when we're here or wherever we are. We've started getting together in small groups. That's a good thing. That's a, it's a small church. It doesn't substitute for this. It adds to it in many ways. It takes some time during the week to, to be together with other Christians and think of being the church. Now let me. I'm not sure we get this. Let's, let's really illustrate it. What happened in Bethlehem? Everybody knows that story. What happened in Bethlehem was that God himself took on flesh, became incarnate, enfleshed in the body of a little baby named Jesus. That baby grew up and did what God wanted him to do. When somebody asked him, I wish I could see God. Remember what Jesus told him? You've seen me. You've seen the Father. I took on a body so you could see what God would look like if he was on earth. And how he would behave and what he would do. And how he would treat people and how he would love people. That's the incarnation. We talk about that miracle and how amazing that is, that God himself would become incarnate and do the will of God on earth. Now think about this. Jesus did that for about 30 years. And then he left. How does the earth, the world, the pagans, how do they see what God is like? Jesus is gone. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, to the scoundrels in Corinth that were all messed up, he said, you better remember, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Now, if you think about that, and if you go so far as to say the church is the second incarnation, 
all of a sudden it's different. That's quite a memorial stone. If the church, and I know it's the church worldwide, but we don't travel worldwide every week. We get together with those that are close to us and can assemble together and all that. Today we've got a lot of sojourners here from other places. They're part of the church worldwide, but they're here for a few weeks. And they want to be with the church to strengthen it and build it up and have themselves built up and grow up in Christ. That's the way the church works. The Lord's Supper is a memorial that proclaims the death of Jesus. That's one thing. That's a good thing. That's a necessary thing. The church of the living God is the body of Christ that is supposed to be doing the work of Jesus. He is still the head. We're the body. In that 30 years, Christ was the head. He told his body what to do, and it did it. He's the head today. He tells us what to do. We do his will. We do his work. We do it in this world. And we don't talk about that enough. In fact, it occurred to me we probably really only talk about it a whole lot right after work camp. We say last week the church was visible in Wichita. Last week, we were out having an impact on people because part of the body, not the whole body, the part that is young and can climb ladders and can do things like that, went out and did that work. So we talk about it some then. We say the world, the neighborhood, the house we worked on, those people saw Jesus. Well, we ought to think about that. 52 weeks a year instead of one week a year. Maybe we need to do more of those kind of things. Maybe we focus too much on this hour. The church operates a whole lot more, should operate a whole lot more, than from 10 to 11 on Sunday morning. And maybe we ought to find ways to think about that and do it. I know of a church that... Well, that's where my grandchildren go that don't live here. And they have a program from 7th grade to 12th grade. You go on some kind of a church service every summer. And they're all different. The kids go to an inner city and work. They go to a neighborhood and just help the people there without evangelizing or anything. It's just there to be friendly and to help and to serve the neighborhood. They go to an Indian reservation one year. They go to some third world countries where the people don't even have the basics of life and they, they help build things and provide things. And They get a whole range of pictures of the body of Christ doing the work of Christ. That's good. Those kind of things are what the body of Christ, yes, it worships. I know that's an important part, but it's not the only thing it does. It does the work of Christ, whatever he would do. And that last thing Paul said, you are part of the body of Christ. 
when we function together, we can do more things. In fact, we're blessed here at Northside. We got a lot of resources, we got a lot of talent, we got numbers, we got people that can do almost anything. So we can do more things than a lot of churches, and we ought to do more things than a lot of churches. And we ought to keep in mind that we're not just serving ourselves, but we're doing the work of Christ. We're the body of Christ. The, The Women Walking with God conference that Our Lady started few years ago. This year, will, next year will be the eighth, I think, or, yeah, I think it'll be, the, we already have eight. We had eight, it'll be the ninth, yeah, I think. I'm one of those older ones that's kind of leaving here. I need a memorial stone. I have to go look at the pictures in there to count them. Anyhow, that is a great service to a lot of women from different walks of life, but it's mainly... Uh, church women that come to it. Now, this year they picked as a theme, hope. Okay? And the management team was working on it, got to talking about showing hope to people. And they said, we've got an idea. And they bounced it off of me since I'm kind of their liaison. They said, we want to reach out to women without hope that aren't in church every week. We want to find some organizations that help women like that, that are in a crisis of some sort or whatever, and we want to give them some free tickets and get let them come hear about the hope in Christ. And God forgive me, but my first thought was, now what can go wrong with this? You know, how will this work? How will we pay for the tickets? How will we under- explain this to people that we're giving away free tickets? I started thinking of all sorts of reasons that this might be hard. What I should have thought of was, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus have a big party to talk about hope? And would he invite some folks that were without hope? Would he call them in off the highways and the byways? He said he would. We're the body of Christ, folks. If we look at that as the memorial stone, we'll do things differently. We'll think differently. And sometimes we come up with something like, well, we'll go feed the homeless once a year. Okay, well, go read the Gospels and see what Jesus did. He fed a bunch of followers two times. The rest of the time, he didn't solve poverty. He loved folks who other people didn't love. He loved the unlovable. That's what he did. Yeah, he helped them spiritually. I'm sure he helped them. I'm sure he let them share food around the campfire sometime or something. But that that wasn't his focus. His focus was to show them the love of God. That's what he was there for. He was the body of God. To show people that God loved them. Tell you a story I read the other day. Many of you are familiar with a guy named Tony Tony Campolo. Um, don't agree with all his theology. I think he's wrong on a few things, but he is. That's his thing: is doing what he thinks Jesus would do, and loving people the way he thinks Jesus would love them. 
He tell, told one story that I read the other day about he flew from the East Coast clear to Hawaii. And the jet lag was pretty powerful, and he was all messed up. So he said he found himself on the first night at 3.30 in the morning. He was wide awake. He wanted breakfast. So he left the hotel and went walking around the neighborhood until he found this little greasy spoon kind of dive place and went in and ordered coffee and some donuts and was doing fine. And all of a sudden, about 3.30, here came eight or nine prostitutes in the door. They were done with their night's work, and they'd come in to get some coffee before they went home. And so he felt a little out of place, and but he stayed and listened. And as they talked, he finally heard one of them say, Hey, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And one of her fellow workers said, So what? What do you want me to do about it? Let me bake you a cake or something? Let me throw you a party. And she said, well, you don't need to be so mean about it. You know, I'm just telling you it's my birthday. She said, I've never had a birthday party in my life. Guess why should I have one now? And so Campolo waited until they left. If you know any of his history, you know what he was thinking. He got together with the guy that owned the diner, and he said, do they come in here every night? He said, oh, yeah, about pretty much same time every night. He said, tomorrow night, could we have a party in here for her? Chef said, yeah, I guess so. It'd be kind of cool. So Tony decorated, volunteered to decorate the place, and he went and bought decorations. The guy that owned the place baked a cake. They spread the word on the street to her peers. The next night, 3.15, Tony showed up, and the place is... Wall-to-wall prostitutes. They're all there waiting for the party for Agnes. Okay? 3.30 on the dot. Here comes Agnes and some of her friends. They walk in. Everybody screams, happy birthday. He said, I've never seen anybody so flabbergasted, so stunned. He said, her knees buckled. Her friend had to grab her arm to help hold her up. He said, then we brought the cake out said, she lost it. She started crying so hard she couldn't blow the candles out. She couldn't do anything. said, we sang happy birthday to her. said, she lost it even more. We said, it's time to cut the cake. She said, I don't want to cut it. Can I just take it home with me? I just want to keep it for a while. And when it's time to cut the cake and somebody says, you can't cut the cake, the party kind of dies. Yeah. So everything went silent for a while. And Compolo said, I said, well, what do you say we pray? And he just bowed his head and started praying. And he prayed for Agnes, and he prayed for her salvation, and he prayed that the Lord would turn her life around. And he prayed about all sorts of things and said amen. And he looked around, and the guy that owned the diner would look staring at him like he was mad. And he said, you never told me you were a preacher. He said, what kind of church do you belong to? Tony Campola said, I belong to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a church like that?
You see, I think that's the kind of thing Jesus would do. We are the body of Christ. That's the memorial stone. Fourth and last memorial stone, our life. Your life. The, the church is a special one, and we, we organize and we do more than we could do individually. But a Christian, his life is a memorial stone. First Peter 2, I think it's verse 4 or 5 says so. Let's, let's read more than that. Listen to what Peter says. First Peter 2, let's start in 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he quotes a lot of Old Testament about memorial stones and memorials and all that. And then verse 9, he says, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. He's talking about the church here, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Now, he gets back down to the individuals here. Verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul and live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He says, what is the world looking at? Yeah, the church does things out there. We ought to do more things out there like Jesus would. I understand that. But here he says, you, you individuals are a living stone. And when people look at you, they ought to see God by watching you and your good lives and your good deeds. They'll glorify God. Okay? Now that connection's a whole other subject, but that's what Peter says about us. Now, think back to our theme, how this works. Joshua's premise was that every time the kids walked past the 12 stones in Gilgal, they'll say, what's that mean? My premise was with these stones that every time a little kid walks past this, he said, what are those rocks up there? Well, what do these stones mean? And we can tell him. Okay. Peter's premise is that when somebody who's not a believer in God, who's a pagan is his term for it, sees a Christian life, they ought to ask, what's that about? That person doesn't behave like everybody else. He doesn't act like everybody in the world. He's more loving, patient, kind, good, self-controlled. Some of those ought to be what describes us, maybe. Yeah. And people ought to notice it. He's not like everybody else in the world. He's not like everybody else in school. He's not like everybody else at work. He's different, and I wonder why. Do we think of it that way? Or do we think of being a Christian on Saturday night? Oh, it's Saturday night. We 
Got church tomorrow. That's what we Christians do. I think Paul, well, I know Paul, because he said so in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been baptized, I've been crucified with Christ. How did he know that? He, he looked at the memorial stone. He remembered when Ananias baptized him. He remembered what that meant, death, burial, and resurrection. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. That's what he thought about it. He said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's a little different way of thinking about life, gang. I'm not even alive anymore. Because I remember that from that memorial stone that that killed the old man. And I rose a new man. I was born again. And so now it's not me. It's Christ that lives in me. See, I picture Paul every day before he went off to the tent shop, because that's what he did. He went and worked in the tent shop. And then when he had an opportunity, he'd preach to people. But I think he also probably taught some folks in the tent shop. And the reason he did was because every morning before he left, he looked in the mirror and said, You ready to go, Lord? We're going to the tent shop. It's not me. It's Christ that's going to the tent shop. You ready for him, Lord? Let's go then. That's the way he thought about it. Now, that's not the best, that's not the way we ought to think about it, because, well, there are a few that think that way. But Paul was an old bachelor. So he was the only one he had to worry about. Uh, most of you have a spouse, a lot of you have kids, so when you look in the mirror, you've got to re recognize that he can be seen in you before you say the first thing to your spouse that morning. Before you wake up the kids and talk to them. Because it's not you that lives anymore. It's Christ. Christ shouldn't just show up at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. He ought to show up in your house every morning. That's a memorial stone. And when you leave your circle, uh, family or whatever, and get to your workplace or your school place or whatever you do, they ought to see him. Well, they won't recognize it immediately. But if you live such good lives among them, pretty soon they'll say, why are you like that? Why are you so different? They've seen the memorial stone, and then you get to tell them. How's the world going to understand the Heavenly Father? Only by seeing us. How are your kids going to understand the Heavenly Father? Only by seeing their earthly father act like a Heavenly Father. That's the memorial stone. Christian life. Paul explained it a little different way. He called it the, we're the aroma of Christ. He said, we ought to smell a little different to people. They ought to sense something that's different than everybody else. 
Okay, those are the four memorial stones. Baptism, Lord's Supper, the church, and the Christian life. If we think about them as stones, we trip over them every once in a while. When they get in the way, maybe it would help us think about them. God instituted them. God built them. God created us to be memorial stones. May we ever live as he intends and be a memorial stone. The lesson is yours. If you have some need this morning to put Christ on in baptism, we'd love to help you. Uh, Part of the church is helping each other. Maybe there's something you need help with in your life. Two of our elders who shepherd and think about those things and pray about those things. Be at the front here to talk to you if you have anything that you need from this family. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come.